Welcome to The Wondering Mind, a mental health podcast. I'm your host, Emily Elizabeth. My goal with this show is to help educate, encourage, and support those that are struggling with their mental health by sharing my own stories, as well as the stories of others, to show you that you are not alone and you can do anything if you work hard and put your wondering mind to it. So let's get started. Are you looking for a new way to relax and center your mind? Do you live in Louisville, Kentucky? Be sure to check out Weightless Float Center in Distillery Commons. And when booking online, use promo code TWM for 20% off your first session. Today, I chat with the founder and CEO of The Tad Project, Ben Greiner. He'll share why he started the organization, why it's so important to him to break mental health stigmas, and he'll share his own personal mental health story. So if you'd like to learn more about Ben, then keep on listening. Hey there. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Wondering Mind, a mental health podcast. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. This show is in no way meant to treat or diagnose any type of mental illness. I am not a mental health professional, simply someone that just felt called to share what I've learned and am learning along my mental health journey. Thank you so much for your support. Now let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Wondering Mind podcast. I'm your host, Emily Elizabeth. Today, I have Ben Greiner on the show, and we're going to talk all about his mental health journey and his nonprofit organization that he started called The Tad Project. So I'm very thrilled to have you. Thank you for coming. Emily, it's awesome to be here and share my personal story as well as, you know, The Tad Project and and why we're, we're doing what we are. So super happy to be here. Thanks so much. Yeah, and thank you so much for what you're doing. I think it's amazing that you all are spreading awareness and providing amazing resources for people that are struggling. So I'm really excited to share with the listeners what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. I mean, I'll, I'll sort of get into it a little bit, introduce who we are and, you know, the organization itself. And so TAD, what is TAD? TAD stands for Talk About Depression. And the TAD project started a couple years ago when I was in college. And not to jump right into it, but basically I need to tell the founding story of how we got here. So I was in college and, you know, college life is busy and and things are going on. And coincidentally, I had a friend who was just out of college and things in life were challenging. You know, we both come from an athlete background and that was, you know, a major part of both of our lives. So it, it was kind of a unique situation where we were both kind of figuring out, you know, where to go with being dedicated to ice hockey. I realized being on daily conversation with him, just things started to change, like things shifted in what we were talking about. And, you know, I knew in his life, there were certain challenges going on. And, you know, one could argue that those would be sort of micro traumas, certain things in his life happened, which, you know, are often really out of your control. And sometimes it becomes overwhelming. So 
our conversations went on and eventually, you know, I still, my heart races still to the moment because I got a text out of the blue saying, I'm done. I don't want to live anymore. And for me, that was like the critical point of going, you know, holy shit, this is, this is real. I, I need to help. I need to act in this moment. Luckily, my friend was brought to safety, but in that specific moment, when someone texts you that, so many things happen. You know, one, you're, you're supporting them and, and thank God he, he reached out and, and was had the strength to share that with me in that moment. But I think I was flooded with, you know, emotion and figuring it out. And what did I do? What does everyone do? So I immediately go to Google and I search how to talk a friend out of suicide. Literally, that was that is what I typed in. And, you know, I I scrolled right through that first page and the correct thing to do at that point or what I re- or what I did was call the the hotline. But, you know, when I called, I talked to an operator and I was like, you know, my friends in crisis, I don't know what to do. Do you have any suggestions? And I kind of got a, you know, vague answer. And for me, like, I'll, I'll do anything for my friend. You know, I, I was at, at that point. So I was trying to reach as many people as possible. And I think for me, that next step was, look, this moment's happening and I'm not there. I'm not in the same state. You know, what do I do next? And I went ahead and called his dad. And in that moment, that was the right decision. Obviously, there's a, there's a lot of risk. And I know a lot more about reaching out to someone close to someone, you know, who's having that, those challenges, but that was the right move. And and luckily his dad brought him to safety, but just that whole experience for me in what do I do? Where do I look? Where do I go? What can I read? What can I understand to give him help now? Right. It's such a, an urgent moment and, and so sudden and, you know, friends share with friends and, I think luckily he was able to share with me and we got through that moment together, but I just really want to tell the detail of, of what happened. And I think it's so important because this happens all the time. Like it's sad to say, but we know that. So going back to the name, talk about depression after that, you know, there was weeks of depression. It wasn't just the moment. It was, you know, going beyond that. And then me as a friend, how do I support him through that? How do I make sure that, you know, we can get care, we can, we can get help. You know, I didn't feel a burden to that. I I just felt I wanted to support, I needed to support him. You know, I I just have that feeling and, and can relate, you know, on my own journey of things, but that is the founding purpose of the TAD project to be a place where people can figure out how to help themselves and how to help someone else, whether it be simply reading a story where you can connect, whether it be real time crisis help that you're able to send to your friend in the moment, whether it be just general information about what's available, what are the what, what are the next steps? You know, what does it mean to go through that? So that's a little bit about what we're doing and, and how I feel strongly about our community. These moments come up and how do you react and, and how do we save lives? 
I think it's incredible. And that's why I was so excited to have you on the show, because we talk so much about the person struggling in the moment, but we don't necessarily talk enough about resources to provide the people that can help those people. Yes. And I just commend you for taking the responsibility and creating this organization so that people don't have to Google (laughs) and sort through all this information and, you know, determine in that moment because it's a crucial moment and you're stressed and you're upset and you don't know what to do. You're freaking out. And so having just a set place where people can go with, you know, a clear idea of what they can do is crucial. Yeah. We're so excited about exactly that with the crisis link that's coming out and in May, actually. So we're very excited for that to come to life and been working behind the scenes on how to deliver something like this to that moment, because I was reading WikiHow. There's like 10,000 words on WikiHow. What am I supposed to do in that moment? You know, what do I do? How is that helping my friend? It's not. So what we've done is we're giving access to a technology where you could send the link to your friend. So the key part and anyone getting help is when they're in that state, they're asking for help. When my friend sent that message to me, he was reaching out for help. So it's so important to talk to a professional, but I'm still supporting him. So how do we be that space for someone? How do we do that? And we've built this link so that person could use and have access to the the emergency resources that are available 24 seven. So not only does the friend able to quickly go through it and call someone if like I did to support your friend and and what you say and and that can help you and sort of calm you down this link we believe will encourage whoever's in a suicidal state to use the resources I think it's about that encouragement what I've learned is when people are in that state they feel so alone that the you know the pain is is so real to them so how do we you know, stimulate that moment to encourage them to use one of these resources? So I think that's what, what I, I really wanna achieve with the TAD project and every situation is different. And, and we think that we can just bring that general skill set of knowing what to do is so valuable, so. Again, one thing too, is that something that you spoke on just a minute ago is when, you're, when someone is in that mindset, having, someone reach out or help when they say something of that nature where they're ready to end it Mm -hmm. and having the other person on the other end receive that information and automatically know that they need help is important for the other side to recognize but like when you're in that mindset you don't want to do anything because you are ready to just give up so even just Googling something yourself, the, the person who's struggling and finding that hotline, which can take not that, you know, not that much time. But again, it, that's not the point. The point is what people need to recognize is that mindset is so severe and having someone like a friend or a family member assist them in that moment, no matter how big or small the action may be is crucial and can truly save a life. So again, I think it's so wonderful what you're doing because it closes that gap and people can begin to recognize that 
something so simple, again, is so crucial. And to have that right there at the fingertips to utilize is just, it's amazing. You know, I think my whole thing and understanding all this world about mental health crisis and, you know, what to do is allowing people to feel less alone. And even if it's that conversation of, I'm here for you, and this is here for you too, right? It's, it's how do we get the most resources to that individual? Because anyone in that state, like you said, my friend didn't want to get out of bed. Like, how do you expect them to go help themselves? I don't want to speak for anyone else. I never, never want to do that. But I still think there's a lot of room for the supporting member, you know, family, whoever it may be to, you know, learn about this. And when things happen, they're there for you, right? It doesn't have to be as extreme as, you know, hopefully not in suicidal state, but just in general, if something's going on in someone's life or, you know, there's a breakup or whatever it may be, that's the time to reach out. There's things that are inevitable and that can cause trauma that can cause two weeks of depression, like a minor depressive episode, you know, we want to empower people to have that place to go. And if it's, you need a story at that time to read and and realize, you know, someone else went through that exact same moment or in a different way, then that's helping the world. So. yeah. Yeah. Basically you're saying like picking up on those signs before it gets to that suicidal ideation phase. I think that's what's so crucial about suicide prevention is the supporting roles, being able to recognize and pick up on the signs and symptoms before it gets to that point. But then again, having this resource, if it does, again, is helpful. Like I was very naive in that moment. And even like with myself in almost like the lack of awareness that happens when you're in that state, right? Like Mm -hmm. as the individual, I mean, I can speak for myself, you know, whatever happens in life, failure comes your way. And you sort of just close off what's around you. And if someone else can recognize that what you went through is, is really, really hard. It may not look like that on the surface from society, but actually for you, it was really hard on you. And, you know, mentally that's that challenging. So I think about those things in life and, you know, just echoing what you said is those things come our way and how do we get through them together. Right. I think, yeah, there's so much, so much of that, (laughs) that happens and that's part of the prevention and, and being there earlier, right. Mm -hmm. For my, for me, if I had known what I know now, you know, I believe we wouldn't have gotten to that place, but you know, you don't know. And yeah. So. Yeah. Communication is key. And I'm your friend. uh, I'm really glad that he ended up sending you that text message because a lot of people don't. Yeah. so it was, yeah. Yeah, we, we encourage anyone who's feeling like that to, to reach out. And even if it's a friend, I think people feel comfortable talking to a friend. And actually, if you, I guess in my own experience, if you can find a time and pull some aside and, you know, actually pause and I really say, I'm struggling, I'm mm-hmm. not doing okay. And oftentimes, the reaction won't be what you might think where they'll react like, oh, you're fine. Or, you know, I know that does happen, but I still believe that there are some, some times where it's like, you know, like I can be here for you, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) 
So I do have one question kind of morphing into your personal experiences with mental health. How has your personal experiences helped you grow and create this organization? I think I've had a unique path and story mostly comes from my background and going after sports so intensely and, and in a in a way that kind of shut out the world. You know, I come from an athletic family and everyone played sports and, you know, so I grew up playing sports and that was a focus for me and I loved it and I enjoyed it. And I got into to ice hockey. So I think um, when I got into it, it was sort of, we're all in from a young age, which, you know, I'm grateful to, you know, have the support of my family to, to go for something like that and try and achieve it. Ended up going to a sports-based high school in Minnesota where it's all hockey, right? It was all about the sport. School was secondary in my mind. You know, I think about a time in high school when I didn't make the team when my brother made the team at that point in time. And it sounds very, oh no, you didn't make a team. But again, to me, it was everything. So that's where I kind of started to not want to isolate myself and like really fight for this in, in a very <laughs> non-healthy way. That's what athletes do is there's, there's so much competition. You saw people at the highest level from that schools, so, you know, I want to be that. So, you know, I jumped into that world and ended up playing three years outside of high school, which is not the usual for someone. Usually they go from high school, right to college. And those years were tough for me personally. My first year, I ended up having surgery on my shoulder and coming out of that injury is never easy. And I went to go play. I ended up getting cut. So my first experience in camp and, and being in that high level world where you're trying to achieve a, a college scholarship didn't work out like right away. So immediately I didn't know how to handle failure. I, I, I didn't, you know, again, not to be superficial about, oh, it's sports, but it was my life. It truly was everything to me. So I ended up going through those years and those years were pretty, I'd say I was just drifting. I think I was in a state of, of not really knowing what I was doing and I had to act a certain way and be this. And I, I sort of got into these repetitive thoughts about where things going with this and, and why am I in this? And, you know, I think it's hard for anyone who's 18, 19 to be so, you know, mature and, and go after things like, like essentially it was treated like professional. So that was hard. And then that was sort of my first taste of mental health. And then my last year, I ended up getting a scholarship, I ended up going to Bowling Green for two years. And little did I know I would have the same experience as my first year. And I didn't feel like I belonged. You know, I'd worked so hard to get to a point and this is the journey of, of sports. I mean, it's not often told in the about mental health, but I feel so strongly about sharing it because so many other people like have gone through what I've gone through. You know, you're part of a team and you're looked at 
differently. But if you don't matter in that, you know, in that circle or whatever you're trying to achieve, if you're not meeting that, then you sort of don't have a purpose. That was really hard for me. And then my second year was pretty dark. I would have to, you know, say that I was not in a good state of mind. I needed to get out of the situation. And, you know, it led to me just not looking at myself the same and going out every night and just not being myself. Luckily, I had support to say, look, we need to make a change. Luckily, I made the decision to transfer and I'm forever grateful because it was a difficult time in my life. And I ended up transferring to Hobart and William Smith Colleges and it was D3. I was like, oh, I'm never going to be that, right? I'm never going to go to that level. And, and that's the part of the problem. And I'm so grateful and, and incredibly emotional about it because that team, that community, that school took me in and knew I was not in the best place and it ended up being the time of my life and the greatest friendships I've, I've ever had. And so, so much joy came from just being, you know, accepted in that moment. But I, I preface that and I share that because in a lot of ways, my friend had a similar situation where things just stop. Your whole life gets turned around, right? Moving from wherever you are to a whole new state, whole new school, whole new team, whole new athletic program. Like not many people would want to do that. <laughs> Luckily it was a good decision for me because of the state I was in, but I just want to tell that because as much as it's very athlete minded and, but that's my journey. And, and that's where I feel connected to people in a, in a different way, because I felt someone else embrace who I was. And um, that is, that's incredible. So I think I related and I connected and, you know, was able to save my friend's life because I had felt the turmoil. I had felt the turnaround. And yeah, I, I love sharing this because not many people know that journey, but they look at me and they, you know, see an athlete or whatever. And I think there's much more. There's, it's much more about human connection. It's much more about having a family, you know, having someone to go to and, and connect with. And yeah, that's why I feel, I feel so strongly about what we're doing because the people I'm inspired by the, our volunteers and even our staff, because they've been connected and they're open and they're sharing their own life experience. We were all doing that athlete thing, but we all come from different places. We all have these unique backgrounds and traumas in your life. And what is it about at the end of the day? It's about the, you know, connecting to, to a human. <laughs> Don't want to get all spiritual, but I think it is so important as we navigate life. <laughs> Humans are very simplistic at the end of the day. Like we might be complicated on the surface, but all we really want is connection and purpose at the end yeah. of the day. Totally. Period. Like, yeah. yeah. I think it's important that you share your story about an athlete struggling with their mental health because 
like you said, there's so much pressure. You're put on a pedestal. You have all of these things, expectations that you're supposed to meet. And when you don't, it sends you spiraling. And I know a couple of professional athletes has come out and said that they've struggled immensely with depression and it's not something we should take lightly and it's something that we should talk about more because kind of like celebrities athletes are kind of in that same category no matter how you know well known you are or not because society respects them as that only yeah and then you strip away that profession and you realize they're just human beings who are dealing with a lot of shit stuff. Yeah, totally connect to that. I I think the culture around that is more about like burying your emotions. I think for me, I was trying to achieve my dreams and I wasn't going to show any weakness, right? It's cliche, but it is so true that doesn't matter what sport there's pressure around you achieving right it's it's about winning it's about achieving and you don't deal with those emotions you have these highs and lows but you never actually like understand them or (laughs) even look into them and I was only able to look into them because like I had no you know feeling of what am I doing and guess naturally I'm pretty introspective, but I think people around me probably saw I was struggling, but, you know, I didn't have a necessarily that awareness, right. Or, or ability to check in and, and that's where the, the check-in thing comes. And I find it so important, especially in the athlete world, because you don't stop you don't pause and actually process anything. It's always the next, what's the next goal? What's the next goal? And, you know, I ended up going on and playing professionally in France and there isn't emotion. It's just meet the expectation or you're not there, right? Like college, you're going to, you're going to stay a college student. You're going to be part of that. But at that level, that goes out the window. So I think just giving people that space to process things is super healthy. And I know they, you know, some have staff of, of psychologists, but it's never, it's never pulled away from an athlete. Right. I think you can separate the two. And I didn't know how to do that. I didn't, I didn't get that. Right. The only thing that mattered was me playing professional hockey. I think everything else went out the window, which is not a a healthy way to live. I think men in general, we often just sort of bury things. And I, you know, discovering myself, I realized that that's not actually how to, to handle things, right? You know, you make yourself worse by doing that. I think especially with men or just any athlete, really, I mean, women too, especially if you start sports or dance or something very competitive at a very young age, it's typically like tradition for whatever reason to preach, suck it up, don't cry, toughen up, get over it, work harder. So it's kind of ingrained in you to suppress your emotions. And then being a man in society, it 
is in more ways than one already. It's super, yeah. I mean, those, those influence so, so much. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's even, you know, that goes into the stigma thing that we want to challenge it. We always talk about it, but we really want to challenge it and get people saying, I don't believe in mental health and, and get that audience to engage. No one likes the word depression, but everyone can relate to the word pain. It may sound a little cliche, but it's so true in that we look at those words and we automatically think something or we put someone into a box of, of this, this, or this. But mental, physical pain is pain, right? Trauma is trauma. There's no way to not acknowledge that. That's what talk about depression, you know, my original thinking about it was, look, there's 264 million people that deal with this on a daily basis in the worldwide. How do we not ever say the word depression or even talk about it? So I get passionate about that because it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to acknowledge that you're having a really rough time. And I didn't understand that until my friend was in crisis and, you know, even myself, there's a lot of work to be done or us doing this is, is awesome. I think a way to break the stigma too, is to continuously repeat the fact that if you have a brain and you're a human being, you have mental health to some degree. It's a spectrum. If you want to look at it, it's a spectrum, just like pretty much everything. And it's whether you're going to acknowledge what's going on beneath the surface or not that will determine where you are on that spectrum. You know, there could be people that are internally suffering and don't even realize it. They don't even realize that they have depression. There's some moms that suffer that have postpartum. They don't even recognize or realize. You know, I was struggling with anxiety and depression for pretty much my whole life. And I had no idea. I just thought I was very moody. (laughs) And, you know, and until you hit such a low, low, like kind of your experience where you lose all sense of purpose. I had a similar experience. That's why I began the podcast is because I was in a really bad relationship and I was in a shitty job and I was just going through the motions daily and nothing seemed important. I didn't have a purpose. I was extremely depressed. But when you hit that low, you either have two choices to give up completely or to redirect yourself and pivot and find a purpose. Yeah. And it's the people that feel like giving up, but they just, they know that there's something more and they're willing to fight for that. So I did that. You did that. Your friend did that. I just think that the more we talk about it, the more people will understand that, that we all suffer to some degree, one. And two, it sucks that it has to be this way for people to consistently hit really fucking low points in their life for them to be like, aha, I need to pivot now. Like I got to change something. Something's not working, but that's just kind of how life is, unfortunately. But Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And I, yeah. And that's where I've understood that that's what happens. Right. Mm-hmm. And we want to change it to preventative, right. We want to be in this place about 
like us talking about it and the idea that you have a brain and you go through things and you have to process things. And then sometimes you're not even aware and you're in a cycle of two to three weeks and you don't even know what happened. And, you know, or there's all these stresses going on and you're just feeling so low and right. So I think the time to check in, we want to get to a place where it happens before and it, it doesn't, you know, I think if I had the awareness, I wouldn't have stayed two years at where I was with my own situation. You need that pause. And I'll use an example. When I got back from this past year, actually, hockey was done, right? I just played two years professionally. I was kind of, what do I do? You know, I've, you know, you're in that transitional place again. And I kind of went through like two to three weeks or even four weeks of felt like I was doing a lot and starting grad school and things were hitting me in the face, but I was just still thinking about playing. And it's almost like it's such a high from playing that now the pandemic is going on and I can't leave my house. And so it was like a combination of things and I ended up volunteering to go coach. And I hadn't been on the ice for a month one of the coaches who I didn't know at all came up to me and he goes, are you okay? Like, how are you doing? And I was like, so caught off guard. And he was like, you know, I've been through, been through it. I know it's tough to, to stop playing. And in that moment, I was almost like in tears because no one had paused or really, or I hadn't got it, you know, gotten my head around that I was stopping. I dedicated arguably 15 years of my life to, to something and I just stopped. So it's not about that. It's more about him reaching out and seeing it on my face or whatever. And I'm so grateful because I realized, Hey, I wasn't really doing that. Well, you know what I mean? So a reality check. Yeah, but just like someone reaching outside themselves and to check in is is so powerful and and we just want to want to keep keep doing that. I think if we can do that, we'll we'll catch these things earlier, right? I think that's what yeah. my point is. So. Yeah, I think human connection again reverts back to what we were saying earlier, so powerful and it's all before the pandemic we would get so caught up in our day-to-day that we didn't have time to process certain things and we didn't have to, we felt like we didn't have time to reach out to other people and see how they were doing because we were all consumed with our own lives. And once the pandemic hit, I think a lot of people had a lot of time on their hands to self-reflect and deep dive into what was going on with them internally. And I think people began to realize just how crucial and important it is to, if you have the mental space to hold for someone else, to ask, how are you feeling today? Instead of saying, how are you doing today? Just say, how are you feeling today? And be there for someone because yeah it could change your life it sounded like that one interaction with that coach changed your life it it was like a oh shit I'm not doing that great kind of moment realization of sorts right yeah I'm, I'm grateful because that is what breaks you out of that you know mind or space that you're in so it doesn't matter where it is right it doesn't matter if it's you know in sports or or outside of that. So I think so much of the pandemic has challenged people and no one was ready for it. Again, life 
just happens. We're hopefully in a place to, to help people in those dark places. Yeah, just letting people know that it's okay not to be okay. I think that's a phrase that's been going around. And also, you know, it's okay not to be okay, but you also want to make sure you have the resources and the tools to get yourself back on track. You don't want to just stay right there. So what you're doing is going to help people do that. They're going to have the resources. We're going to be launching in May, the crisis link, and we're revamping our website and everything and, and creating a community where you can go and sign on and share a story or create a mood and just do these little activities that might break up your day or, you know, be a pause for you. Hopefully that is a positive experience and you feel comfortable then reaching out to help and then you'll have access to help. So we, we kind of, we're, we're taking a, a total approach of learning about it and being placed to figure it out. The more we are honestly sharing, the better chance we have to engage more people in mental health and believing it's, you know, when you go to the doctor for a broken arm, it might be beneficial to go to a doctor if, if you're not feeling good for two weeks or can't get out of bed. You know, we want to normalize it. We want to make it that casual. That's where we, we love to sort of break in and, and share. Breaking the stigmas is really important. And I think part of that process is letting people know that it's okay to be vulnerable and tell your truth and speak up and cry and be emotional. I mean, we're human beings. Like the more you suppress all of these things, the worse it's going to get. Aren't you all starting a new campaign? The What is it? The fuck stigma? Fuck stigma. Yeah, we, we're coming out with some merchandise and we're really excited about that just to, you know, make a statement about stigma. I mean... My friend and I have, you know, the one I shared about, he's, he's always hated the word stigma, you know, because it becomes like almost a crutch for someone to just say, you know, they're, they're reducing stigma, but we've never challenged it. I think there's a different frame and we want to, we want to challenge it and get more people involved. There's a community of mental health, but there's also the rest of the world, right? We don't want to isolate at all. That's part of what I've learned too, is there's great communities, but we want to be different. We want to be there for Gen Z and millennial people. You know, hopefully Tad can, can do that. And one of the ways is through that campaign and just talking about things differently. Yes. I love that. All hands on deck with this. Yes, exactly. We gotta, we'll get everyone some merch, but uh, <laughs> merchandise will be, we'll be launching in May too. So. Um, we're excited about that. So what's the biggest lesson that you've learned throughout this experience? There's so many, but, you know, if you really look at the TAD project and my personal experience, and I think people are amazing, been inspired like, on a different level than ever before, not looking at what people do, but looking at who they are and bigger than all of us. So I'd say, you know, that connection is, is definitely most important to me. So what's some advice you could provide the listeners if they're struggling or if they know someone who's struggling that could help them? Our advice, you know, obviously I'm not a licensed professional, but 
at the same time, we believe in, in communication around these challenging moments. So TAD actually stands for talk, ask, decide. So I would encourage you, whoever you are, to talk about whatever you're going through and then ask for help. Really realize that in those darkest moments, you can get through them and then decide to get help. And, and it works both ways with being a friend, but I think as an individual, it, it sounds cliche, but there is hope and there are resources. There are people who have been through things that you may never know. And it's important to know that, that you're not alone. Well said, and I love the talk, ask, decide thing and how it does apply to both ends of the spectrum. People yeah. that aren't necessarily suffering in the moment and people that are. Yeah. That's incredible. Absolutely. More proud to, to share, but also connect with people like you who are doing amazing things, you know, starting a podcast and can see, you know, the change and that the spark in, in you is, is awesome. So thank you so much for, for including me and we'll, we'll do some work together in the future for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was a great conversation. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Emily. Absolutely. Great and time. thank you again to the listeners for tuning in to another episode of the Wondering Mind podcast. Until next time, maintain your brain and keep on wondering. Thank you for listening to the Wondering Mind podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you wouldn't mind just taking a few moments and leaving us a review, letting us know what you think of the podcast. Also, feel free to follow us on Instagram at the Wondering Mind Podcast and on Twitter at TWM Podcast. <laughs>